Hello and welcome to Influence Marketing Talks. It's a podcast brought to you by Cure Media, the leading influence marketing company for fashion brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about consumer marketing in the digital age, as well as all things influencer marketing in right around 15 minutes. So I'm Holly Morin. I am the marketing manager for the UK here at Cure Media. And I'm Frida Ekholm, social media manager at Cure Media. And in today's podcast episode, we'll be walking you through the different influence marketing tactics or strategies, whatever you want to call it, that there are out there. So let's get started, Holly. Let's do it. So first things first, and I'm I'm thinking this should probably be something that we start every podcast with because it really is relevant to to every element of influence marketing, and that's that as a brand, it is so critical to start out by understanding what you're hoping to achieve within influence marketing, because only once you understand that can you really decide and determine which tactics are going to be best suited to your goals, but also your unique product, your service, the thing you're offering. If you don't work this out early, then the chance of you really getting the maximum return on your investment is pretty low. And therefore, in the worst case scenario, you're not going to see kind of any return or anything like what you're hoping to. You will ditch the channel and you're going to miss out on a really valuable opportunity. There is a commonality across all of the strategies though, all of the tactics, whatever your goals are, whatever approach you're taking, you're going to need to invest time before you start to see the returns. And that's with marketing across the board. This is not unique to influence marketing. Results come after investment of time, of resources and energy. But the other thing to note is that one tactic within influence marketing or generally again across the board doesn't need to replace the other. Most brands today are actually incorporating a combination of several different influencer marketing tactics into their whole strategy. Definitely. And that's very common today for a lot of brands. Mm -hmm. So Holly, in this episode, we'll be talking a bit about the different influencer types there are out there. Uh, So should we start uh, by defining what we mean when we talk about micro-influencers, celebrity influencers or nano-influencers? And also important to remember here is that these definitions can vary slightly depending on who you're talking to. And as influence marketing has grown as an industry, these different types of influencers and their followers rate have changed with it. So before there was just one type of influencers, the bloggers, for example, but now the industry has grown and there are different ranges of influencers. So um, basically we name them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was when a uh, you know 5k was a big following back yeah. in the day <laughs> but the industry has grown um so we do have these different categories but they are flexible make sure you're staying up to date with how that changes as we as we move along so we'll give you a quick walkthrough or rundown of the way we define these different influences and that'll give you an idea of how the wider market regards them now right at the top that's where you get the celebrity influences And that's exactly what it sounds like. It's the football players or the Kim Kardashians of the world. You know, people who are famous outside of the social media sphere. Just below them, we hear the mega influencers. 
And that's people that tend to have over a million followers. Um, I think Bianca Ingrosso is a really good example for our audience here in the Nordics. Uh, or someone like Victoria McGrath in the, in the UK, formerly known as In The Fro. Once here below them, we have the macro and mid-size range. That's 50,000 to 100,000 followers. And then below them, we have the micro-influencers. And this is a type of influencer that we believe is particularly powerful. They tend to exhibit that really um, familiar kind of girl next door feeling, but obviously they have a slightly bigger audience than your everyday social medias like you or me, Frida. So when we talk about micro-influencers, we mean influencers who have more than 5,000 followers, but fewer than 50,000. And while it's not always a rule, these influencers can be found occupying specific niches. So they will speak um, specifically to fashion or interior design, health and fitness or cooking, that kind of thing. And then finally below them, that's when you get to the nano influencers. And this is much more where you and I might, I suppose, be considered. Um, It is the below 5,000 followers count. Yeah. Um, And it's good to know that the lower you get uh, often in this uh, kind of influencer sizes, the more like uh, authentic and trustworthy uh, relationship the influencer has with his or her followers. Like um, I can imagine your 300 followers, Holly, (laughs) trust you uh, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really important point, actually. You know, don't be, don't be blindsided by the idea that you you have to stick to a certain size because there are benefits um, throughout. And I imagine we'll go through some of those today. <laughs> yes, we will. So let's continue with the different influencer marketing tactics there are out there. So imagine a pyramid chopped in different layers, like a cake, but a pyramid. <laughs> and we'll start at the top and work ourselves down to the foundation. So all these tactics can be combined and you one doesn't have to replace the other. So that's important to remember. But Holly, we'll start at the top. At the top of the pyramid, we have the big collaborations. And as an example, uh, here it could be a brand partnering up with an influencer and designing a product line together or a deepened collaboration where the influencer gets a commission of the total product sales, for example. For sure. And and the most important um, drivers and KPIs for this type of big collaboration are often going to be primarily sales. So you know, revenue-driven activities. You want to see those sales figures tick up. And there can be secondary benefits for building brand awareness or brand preference. And a really good way of keeping track of your success in those kind of KPIs is to conduct brand surveys so that you can measure actively how you're being perceived in the market, how consumers are responding to your activations. Yeah. So Holly, what's the advantage with this type of big collaborations at the top of the pyramid? So right at the bit, the big top, uh, you are never going to get more investment from an influencer than with these kind of big collaborations. This is a way to make influencers feel really involved, um, really attached to your brand and the product. And as a result, the authenticity that's going to be perceived from your work with these influencers is going to be really high. So particularly good thing to note here is that this is probably not a first time collaboration style for an influencer and brand relationship. You don't want to 
go straight into an influencer you've never worked with before and propose they design you a product line. This is something where you can build. If an influencer has been really effective for you, this is a really nice way to maximize that. And the disadvantage? The big disadvantage is that you are, (laughs) you're really putting all your eggs in one basket. And in this case, the proverbial basket is not just the efficacy of one influencer, though, of course, that is really important, but it's also their conduct. You know, it's how they are behaving in the outer world, not just on their platform. And what that means is that if there is any kind of bad press, if they're involved in a scandal or some controversy or anything, that's going to take your brand down with it, basically. You will be linked to that. Yeah, and the most suitable influencers for this type of Big Bang collaboration are, not surprisingly, mega influencers or celebrity influencers. So let's move one step down in the pyramid. And here is where we come across ambassador programs. And this tends to mean longer term collaborations where influencers and brands commit to each other for a really long period of time. Uh, To give you an example, I really love uh, Gymshark's approach to this. They call their ambassadors their athletes. And I think by virtue of the brand being so in step with the way the digital world works, they've really cultivated this ambassador approach right from the start. I think you could probably argue that actually it was their founder, Ben Francis, who was kind of the, the first Gymshark athlete. He was the prototype for their ambassador program. And so their collaborations have always been pretty long standing and they feel really authentic because of that. They would, you know, I'm sure they'd inspire some people to get out of bed to go to the gym. Not me, but some people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. Holly, what are the advantages of this brand ambassador approach? So the big advantage for me with this kind of approach is that It has the kind of or a similar impact to the really big collaborations that we had right at the top of the pyramid that we just spoke about. It's also got a really high authenticity ranking. Audiences really respect these long-term strong brand connections between the influencers and your brand. And I think it does wonders if your primary objective when you're using this tactic is around that brand awareness, building and nurturing that audience. Yeah, definitely. The disadvantage with this brand ambassador approach is similar to the one we spoke about earlier is because you're putting a big risk on a few influencers. By committing long term, you risk being stuck with one influencer, even if this influencer is no longer a good fit or isn't performing for some reason. So good here is that you have tried this influencer maybe before for a smaller collaborations uh, a couple of times before you commit to a like bigger contract brand ambassador approach. And you'll also risk that followers' interest of this influencer declines over time if there's not a great storytelling and the storytelling might be difficult to keep relevant. So that's good to have in mind. And Almost the same as the big collaboration, the most suitable influencers here are mega and macro, but it could also be a very niche influencer with a smaller following depending on your brand, product, or service. Um, It could also be a celebrity uh, kind of um, influencer, but then it will probably end up more on the big collaboration at the top of the pyramid. 
For sure. This kind of brand ambassador collaboration is also really suitable for both less expensive products and services and the more expensive. For the less expensive range, and this is going to be things like fashion or FMCG brands, the benefit is that the product can be gifted in volumes to influencers. So things like clothes or accessories, beauty products or energy drinks, you can be quite free with gifting these kinds of products to hundreds of influencers at a time. You might find it slightly more difficult for more expensive products purely because of the challenge of scaling when your product and your offerings are just a bit more expensive. For example, you're not going to be able to send a hundred influencers a car because that's not really going to fit into your marketing <laughs> budget, <laughs> if only. And therefore, you know, you might find it a bit more difficult to really get across that authenticity if you're asking this group of ambassadors to really recommend your product, but they don't have it, which yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's a good to point out to summarize this approach is that it's brand ambassadors is often a smaller range of influencers working on like years, uh, at least months um, together with your brand. Mm-hmm. For the third influence marketing tactic, we have the campaign based approach. So campaign-based collaborations means doing collaborations every now and then, maybe based on your content calendar, collection launches, or around holidays such as Christmas or Swedish Midsummer, 4th of July, and so on. And this approach is often used for branding purposes as the primary purpose and secondary for conversions and sales. But this totally depends on your goals. Definitely. And the the, the advantage of this kind of approach really is its flexibility. You're not committing long term. Uh, there's no, you know, long standing agreement between your brand and the influencers you're working with. And this means that you can pause collaborations whenever you want. They will often be short run in any way, sometimes only a couple of days, hours or a week or, or even just a single post. But it works really well if you are looking to build short-term hype around like you said Frida you know particular uh, calendar occasions or big product launches that you might have coming up yeah but the big disadvantage here is the short-term approach as we have talked about in several of our episodes because to build trust over time, you need to be there over time in your audience's feed to be top of mind in the end. And if you would like to have a campaign-based influencer tactic, that is okay. But you will most likely be forgotten in between your campaigns, especially if you don't have the always-on foundation, like the, the foundation, the floor of your house or the roof. You can't just start with uh, the interior when you don't have a house. So this type of approach will also generate short-term effects and results, uh, maybe a spike in sales or traffic to your website, but it will not last for the long run if this is the only tactic you're doing. Mm. The results are really transient, I think, when people rely on this tactic exclusively. Yeah. But another advantage is that it can be used for pretty much every different type of influencer. Um, But I would say that... It is most commonly seen among mega and mid-size influencers because you kind of need that that audience size really to get that spike um, since it is such a short-term activation. Yeah. 
It also, I would say, works for pretty much any type of product or service. Is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah. And moving on to the fourth influence marketing tactic. And now we're almost at the bottom of the pyramid. And here we actually find two tactics that we put in the same level. So it's affiliates and gifting. So Holly, let's start with affiliate marketing. Can you explain what that is? Sure. So affiliate marketing at the crux is when someone posts about a product they like on social media um, and they will earn a commission from every sale they drive for that brand. And if that's often through, uh, well, it used to be swipe up, no longer, but, you know, story links or um, shopping boards or, you know, even discount codes. Now, the purpose of affiliate marketing, affiliate marketing is almost always sales, which makes sense. You know, this is a conversion tactic at the end of the day. And it's a very cost efficient way to to get that kind of that spike in conversion. It allows you to reach and engage with audiences on social media at scales with a really clear CTA um, that drives revenue directly. Yeah. And the disadvantages with affiliates is, and that you have to be aware of, is that you have low control over who is going to post what and which audience you will be exposed to. And there will be no guarantee that influencers will post or the frequency of posting and you can't really control the messaging or content. Also, it's good to have in mind that it can be difficult to get these kind of posts during popular periods such as Black Friday, Christmas, etc. because influencers have limited, limited space for brands and they might choose the long-term collaborations here. And since affiliate marketing is so sales focused, you probably want to combine this tactic with one that is driving brand awareness and brand love as well. As we said about all the tactics, it's a matter of combining them or finding your mix. Yeah, and, and this kind of tactic, it really can be done with all kinds of influencers. Um, but I do think it tends to be more effective from that kind of macro down approach, purely because the really big accounts, the celebrities, probably aren't going to engage with the kind of um, short-term commission-based approach is all. It does tend to be more effective for products in the lower cost range. And it's because you're looking for quick conversions and sales, right? You don't want someone to see a link and then need to go and sit away and think about it for four weeks before they commit to a big investment. You need people who are going to be able to swipe up and just get the job done there and then. That's true. <laughs> and so let's look at the kind of other half of this level of the pyramid, Frida, which is, like you mentioned, gifting. So gifting is kind of exactly what it sounds like. It is when a brand gives or sends out products to try to get the influencer to post something about the products or the brand on their social media. The main purpose here is going to be branding because you're not going to get links. Um, it's more about making your product visible to these new audiences. Yeah. And the advantage advantages with this uh, gifting tactic is, as it sounds, it's a cost-efficient method in the way that you don't have to pay the influencers for a post. You will basically pay with your product. Um, but remember, sending products isn't a guarantee that the influencer will post about it. Definitely not. But gifting is good if you already have a great or cool uh, brand that the influencer want to be connected with and that you might already know that they like your brand or products in some way. 
because then, of course, the chances of them posting will be higher. It's also beneficial, of course, if you have a relationship with the influencer beforehand, um, just because maybe you can tell them that you're sending products, etc. You have a type of relationship connection with them. Yeah, it it works really well, actually, for aspirational brands. You know, if you're someone that someone wants to be seen with, um, this can be really a really powerful tool for you. Having said that, obviously, the bigger disadvantage is that there is no guarantee that the influencers will post. There's no agreement or contract in place. And even if they do, you have no control over the messaging or the content of their post. You also might not actually know what the kind of influencers audience is like, whether they're even reaching your target audience, if you haven't checked that before you're sending out your gifts. Keep in mind here that just like affiliate marketing, it could be really difficult to get influencers to post during popular periods, those times like Black Friday or Christmas, because they they have limited space for brands and they're probably going to prioritise the ones that are paying them. Yeah. Another thing that actually is really important to bring up when we're talking about gifting is that there are quite complicated rules and regulations around gifting. So depending on what market you're active in, make sure you understand the tax requirements, any advertorial requirements, any declaration requirements before you embark upon this kind of approach. It might even be that an influencer will deny a product, for example, because you have taxes that you need to pay and you've forgotten. So make sure you've got a good grasp on that before you get started. Yeah, good point, Holly. And the most suitable influencers here are primarily nano, like smaller influencers. But if you have a really strong brand or product or a good relationship with the influencers, then it will, of course, work really well for bigger influencers like celebrity or mega, macro, etc. So here it also depends on your product, etc. And gifting is often used for products with lower costs price, as I said. But if you send to bigger influencers, the price range is often higher because then you need to choose wisely which influencers you are sending to, of course. And now we are at the bottom of the pyramid. We have the foundation, the floor of the house, the always-on approach. And this is the foundation that makes the pyramid so steady. In the same way that when you're building a house, you're starting with the floor, the foundation, the same goes for influencer marketing. And always on is and should be the foundation of your strategy if you want to work long term and eventually scale your influence marketing efforts. So Holly, can you take us through what an always on approach for your influence marketing means? I can. And it's it's kind of self-explanatory, right? So always on is, at its most basic, just a long term commitment to the influence marketing channel. It's about kind of buckling in and investing in constant long-term always-on collaborations with influencers, probably at a higher frequency of posting and a longer relationship with individuals. It is generally pretty ROI-focused because it's going to be the approach that gives you the most opportunity to really optimise the results you're seeing from the channel Unlike shorter term activations where they're just, they're out there, they're done, there's nothing you can do to 
improve them or amend them and now this always on approach means that you can really dig into the results you're seeing and look for ways to maximize them yeah and adjust your strategy over time see what's working and what's not and that's really an advantage yeah content and influencers you know you can really hone in on what's going to work for your brand and it's also really effective for brand building because it does create that authenticity and the credibility. It gets your brand right at the top of mind and it makes sure that when audiences see it, they have seen it before. You know, it's not the first time and then they're forgetting about it because they've got 700 other posts in their feeds. They're going to remember this constant source of interaction that your brand is putting out there. Yeah. And the disadvantage with this always-on method is, as it sounds, it takes a lot of time and a lot of work, and it's difficult to manage yourself. Let's say you're a social media manager alone, or you have a small influencer team, because this tactic demands more resources in terms of, as I said, time and uh, money, uh, etc. So, for example, many of our customers are at Cure Media are working with hundreds of influencers a month. And imagine handling that in-house, maybe by yourself and without a platform or system that helps you with uh, like all the tasks, the influencers draft, the brief, etc. That's a lot of manual emails. So before starting this always on tactic, make sure you have the time, the resources and the budgets available. Definitely. Now, this kind of approach is probably going to be most suitable to the slightly smaller accounts, probably around the micro and the mid-sized influencer range. A lot of this is is cost, um, if you can afford a six-month collaboration with Kim Kardashian. Knock yourself out. I'm sure it'll be amazing. I look forward <laughs> to seeing it. Uh, but if you can't, you're going to get really good engagement and response from these smaller accounts, but at a much more cost-effective price point. It's also going to be particularly suitable for you if you have some kind of e-commerce offering, particularly within uh, the fashion and interior and beauty space. It's why we recommend it to all of the clients that we partner with. And it's something to really consider if you offer products in the lower range, the kind of 10 to 500 um, pound range for, for those of us in the UK. Yeah, definitely, Holly. So that was the pyramid. And once again, important to remember, one tactic doesn't have to replace the other, but it's super important to always have the foundation. And then you can add on the sparkles, the big collaborations, the brand ambassadors, etc., depending on your goals and what you want to achieve with your influence marketing. So find the right mix for your brand. And this was all for today's episode, but the content doesn't end here. If you want to continue staying up to date on our weekly podcast episodes, what's up on the consumer marketing scene, and of course, all things social media and influencer marketing, make sure you follow us on our social media platforms at Cure Media. <laughs>